Hi, welcome to Story Hole, a podcast exploring the lore behind the most important stories in the world. So pull a chair up by the fireplace and let us put a story in your hole. Hi, I'm Joey. I'm Roger, but I'm a vampire this time. <laughs> I'm Brian, but just normal Brian. <laughs> and I am Dracula. <laughs> it is nice to meet the one just like myself. <laughs> Tell me more, Roger. How long have you been vampire? Uh, just a couple minutes now. Um, I got one really sharp tooth. Oh. Mm. And, and a, a bat. Would you like another sharp tooth? Yeah. Come here, let me give you a little <laughs> nibble. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Now you are vampire complete like me. Yeah, it feels great. I'm just gonna say it. It feels great. <laughs> cool. I'm sold. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, I don't know if you if you knew that coming in here, but Dracula is with us for this episode. Yay! Hi, I found that the easiest way to keep him busy is just to kind of give him some Skittles. So I'm just going to throw some Skittles over there, and he'll fly over and just kind of sort them. But if you ever want to talk to him, feel free. Okay. 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 Here, Dracula. Here's some Skittles. Don't mind me. I'll turn into a bat and sort all of the funny colors. <laughs> Is that a Dracula thing? Oh, yeah. Well, he, he likes to organize things. He likes to count things. That's what that's like vampires, right? That's what they like to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. They they have like a that's why I like the count is the count in on Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah, because he has to he has to obsessively uh, uh, organize or or count uh, objects that are on the floor. That's how you escape. That's funny. Uh, anyway, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, well, actually, it, well, today the the day this comes out is actually Halloween. So happy Halloween, everyone! Happy Halloween. happy Halloween! And as is tradition, we go out to the woods to have some scary stories. Hence the uh, the the weather ambiance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, today I'm going to be sharing with you guys kind of three uh, shorter spooky stories, but it's kind of weird. So I'm going to have to kind of explain myself and segue back and forth between a few things. You're going to have to explain yourself a lot. He always does. <laughs> you, have a lot, you have a lot to yeah, explain. Yeah, Babaloo. Part one, we're revisiting yokai. I talked about them last year and then I bought a gigantic book of translated yokai that was from Japanese into English. So I'll re-explain what yokai are and then we'll give you guys two stories from that. And then I want to talk about a woman who is a ufologist, but I need to explain where she came from. And so that kind of gets separated into two smaller stories as well. Okay. 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 If you guys recall last year when I did my scary stories, when I talked about the Japanese cryptids, that's the term yokai is. And so I want to do a little recap of that. So I looked into it and I found that yokai, although they came from like way back in the day, like the earliest texts actually have Japanese monsters in them, predominantly in the Edo period, there was a ton of art, but also there's a ton of social growth like internally for Japan. So what actually that led to was a lot of time to share ghost stories. This actually became a social tradition and this was done kind of like a board game style get together or maybe even like a Bloody Mary-esque kind of game. It's called, I'm going to do my best here. Hyakumonogatari <laughs> Kaiden Kai. That's right. That sounds it. very good to me. Thank you. I was practicing. I, was, I looked up uh, pronunciations today. So. <laughs> so, in the game, the way this would work, people would light 100 paper lamps and they take turns sharing smaller ghost stories. And then each time someone does it, you get up and you blow out one of the candles, basically. After you blow out the candle, you look into the mirror, and then you have to return back to the group, and the room gets dimmer and dimmer each time. And then, when you're on story 99, uh. that's when everyone gets the heebie-jeebies and quits, because the extermination of the last light 
would basically create a safe haven for the spirits to come into our world. Huh. So you're yeah. saying in one night they told 99 ghost stories? That's a lot of stories. Yeah. But hey, what else are you going to do? <laughs> it's the 1700s. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to catch a hot Netflix TV show. You're right. <laughs> I think that makes sense, right? That's probably what they did for fun. That makes sense to me. I've hung out with people and I don't think I've ever told 20 stories in a given night. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's yeah, true. Because they're, they're always on your Game Boy, you know? <laughs> I know, it's true. You can't yeah. get my head out of my... Uh, what was the Sega version? Oh, Game Gear? Game, Game Gear. Gear. Yeah. Me, playing, me and Sonic. Playing Sonic, yep. yeah. Yeah. And it, you're still on level one. You'll get there one day. Hey, mm-hmm. so when was, when was Sonic invented then? 1700. Sonic was? Okay. So. Yeah, he's, so. he's the first yokai and the fastest one. So this That's predates I, Sonic then. Yes. <laughs> um, are you asking for real? Because no, probably what. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, you guys get the idea. For us, these are just ghost stories. But... There are like a, a bunch of terms in Japanese that actually separate things that these aren't necessarily ghost stories because they have ghosts, they have monsters, they have demons. They're all different types of, of creatures. So yurei, for instance, uh, is a human soul that can't find peace. So that's like a ghost, right? A tortured soul. Uh-huh. Okay. And mononoke, like the princess mononoke, uh, refers to shapeshifters. So like Dracula is... Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's a mononoke. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, can it be crossover? What if I'm like a, a lost spirit, but I can also shapeshift? Can I be more than one thing? Uh, so, yeah. So that's where the term yokai comes in because it is the blanket term that includes all of these different things. Okay. But then if I want to, I can tell you, I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you a yurei story instead of a, a yokai story. Gotcha. Yeah. So I need to just wrap it up. Yokai for basically just means like anything mysterious that we can't imagine. So that's why it's an all encompassing term. So, like, for instance, there's like a little boy, a monster that doesn't really bother humans. He doesn't really interact with us. He just walks around carrying tofu and gets bullied by a bunch of other uh, monsters. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he would be just uh, a yokai. Hey, um, and then, Joey, yeah. real quick. Uh-huh. I, I don't know where to sort this one. I've heard a lot about hentai. Which one is that? Uh, well, I bet you that actually does kind of fit in here. Does it really? The, you know, kind of. <laughs> There are a lot of horny monsters. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a, 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 a quick. Well, fuck it. Let's just do it right now. Um, I have some, some, uh, some brief honorable mentions to some of the monsters that didn't make the list today. Okay. And one of them is a giant spider that just preys on horny young men. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Cool. His name is Suchigomo, and uh, yeah, he's a he's a mananoke uh, that can ambush people. Uh, and eat them or he creates cunning plans to like attract predators and then poison them hmm. so like the the common story is that like sexual he'll turn predators? into like a, yeah well, okay i guess both in this case because he'll turn into a young boy to attract somebody and then poison them but oh. it's usually oh. like older men so <laughs> some like uh, some chris hansen energy huh yeah, yeah but but in a giant spider body <laughs> what if we find out that chris hansen is just that spider spider demon i mean that's his human form he still exists, still around. I, don't, I guess I don't know the translation, but it could very well just be Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen, right? Chris Hansen. I think that, yeah. I think it's an anagram, actually. Tsuchikomo is, if you rearrange the letters, you could probably get a, a Hansen in there. Mm-hmm. Since we're already here, the other uh, honorable mention I want to do is this rad giant skeleton whose name is Gasha Dokuro, and he eats people for fun. But basically, his whole story is like when there were wars, the soldiers would die on the battlefield and they didn't get proper like, burials. So their souls 
would just anguish amongst all like, these. They basically turn into ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of them would merge into this amalgamation of tortured skeletons, like a rat king made of bones. Wow! And just turn into a giant skeleton, like those decorations that are in front of rich people's houses. Yeah, like fifteen yeah. foot tall skeletons. Yeah. If you guys look at the Discord, I actually put pictures in there, so you can see on the bottom two pictures, you can see the the spider, and you can see this. The skeleton is so cool, in my opinion. This giant skeleton. Oh, that's so cool, man! I feel like getting eaten by a a, a giant skeleton is not that bad because you just have to make it past those teeth he's going to swallow you oh, and yeah. you just mm-hmm. walk right out of his rib cage right and think about how fun that rib cage is it's like uh, <laughs> yeah I'll hang out in there for a while yeah it's like think a about jungle all the gym. funny noises it'll make it'll be xylophone <laughs> yeah. when you're falling down yeah although banging your head back and forth inside the rib cage probably not great not great no well yeah. you don't use your head to make the xylophone noises. I mean, if he swallows... You bring your own little xylophone sticks. I, I think that... Yeah, I guess it's a point. Because, uh, yeah, okay, you win. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so last year, for a refresher, anyone who doesn't know, I did a bunch of toilet monsters. This year, I wanted to focus <laughs> on Halloween-centric monsters. And so the first place I looked uh, was a, a book written in the Edo period by uh, Hokusai, who is the guy who made the woodblock print of yeah, The Great Wave. We've talked about him before. Yeah. yeah. Are you trying to... T- Tie in the Hocus Pocus too as well? Yeah, Hocus I Pocus I. And uh, he, he wrote a book called 100 Ghost Stories to capture the, these folk tales I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Um, and he also illustrated uh, the monsters. And so those other ones are going to be there as well. The first one, oh, they're in order in Discord. I'll Sorry to interrupt, Joey. Yeah. But um, so if he's doing 100 Ghost Stories, is there a significance to 100? Because this is now twice that 100 has popped up. That's just the tradition, right? You tell 100 Ghost Stories. Yeah. It's just social. Yeah, the, the term and the tradition and uh, the name and all that stuff, it all translates to a hundred ghost stories. Like, instead of saying I'm going to a restaurant, I go to Applebee's, it's like mm-hmm. that. This is the okay. Applebee's of, of scary stories. <laughs> that was the weirdest analogy ever. Yeah, yeah I, I, my brain doesn't work so good. So, you know, just, just let me go with it. Uh, I like um, that. It's okay. like, you know, it's like Applebee's. I'm like, uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, correct. Got it. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. So. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you again, Joey. But you did no. mention that Dracula's hanging out with us for the full episode. Uh, can I? Can I ask? I am sorting my skittles over here. It seems like yellow is winning. <laughs> hey, Drac, <laughs> uh, what's your favorite uh, entree at Applebee's? Uh-huh. I've never been to an Applebee's because no one has ever invited me. Oh. You have to go. You would love it. I would love to sink my teeth into a Roger. Roger, red- this is oh. a trick. You can never invite a vampire in. Oh, it's true. He can't get in unless you invite him. Don't let him into Applebee's. Perhaps you can ask Mr. Applebee to invite me and it would be rude otherwise. (laughs) Isn't that their slogan, though, Mr. Drag? It's everybody's backyard. (laughs) Yes. Applebee's. Good in the backyard. Bye, Drac. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I love this image, too, that we went out and we're all sitting around a campfire and you just threw a bunch of Skittles in the dirt and he's just like rummaging around on the ground with them. It is no problem for a man like me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing Halloween-centric stories and in season one, Roger did explain why we carved pumpkins to create jack-o'-lanterns and i wanted to see if i could do a famous japanese story uh, also about haunted lanterns so uh just real quick trigger warning there's some sexual violence in this one so uh, it's not super bad but you know just in case in 1636 a young woman named oiwa was married to a samurai named yemon oiwa was by all means a good woman but her husband yemon was a scumbag he was selfish he was wasteful and a thief He had stolen a bunch of money from his boss. And one day he was on his way home from work and he came across Oiwa's father. Now they were alone 
And Oyo's father knew that Yeman was a shithead. So he ordered Yeman to divorce his daughter so that she could find a better husband and have a better life. But Yeman was samurai. He didn't tolerate this kind of disrespect. So he drew a sword and he killed his wife's father. And no one was around to see it. Uh, so Yeman obviously got away with it. And that was that. They wouldn't get divorced. And soon after, Oiwa became pregnant with his child. Now, during the pregnancy, Yeman started to grow disgusted with how his wife looked. And at this time... Is it because her belly button poked out? Because I, I, that's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was trying to like shove it back in with the hilt of his, with the hilt of his uh, sword. It wasn't working out. So, but it was making a funny noise every time, like a what, Snapple cap. What did it sound like? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, at this time, they lived next door to a wealthy doctor. And this doctor had a younger, attractive granddaughter named Ome. And Ome was really into Yeman. So Dr. Grandpa wanted to help arrange for <laughs> Yeman and Ome to get together. So the doctor began to like conspire, basically. Now, after Oiba gave birth, she grew sick. And she went to the doctor next door and asked for some help. And he prescribed a medicine that was meant to help her, but actually... The medicine just horribly disfigured her face, uh, obviously because he wants he wants them to break up so that his granddaughter can can get with this man, right? Not a great doctor, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's a great doctor if he knew the right medicine to like fuck up someone's face. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. I, is that does that medicine exist? Is that something you can take? I mean, Botox uh, is kind of like that, right? Is that a medicine yeah. that fucks up your face? <laughs> it's yeah, something that true, people right? think is helping, but it makes them look like a monster. <laughs> they do look like a monster. I'm sorry if this is rude, but Botox faces look crazy. <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. the thing is, we don't know when it doesn't look crazy because it looks natural. We only notice the times true. that it's like it, 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 it goes poorly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, maybe one of these days we can have a bet, and uh, one of us, whoever Let's loses, has Botox. to get. Yeah. <laughs> we all, Let's have a bet. Let's all get Botox. <laughs> all right. So, doctor gives her this medicine, fucks up her face, and now Yemon is completely repulsed by his wife. And the doctor explained to Yemon that if he marries Ome, the granddaughter, not only would he get a younger, more beautiful wife, but he would also inherit the doctor's family fortune. Now, to understand... Uh, how bad it was at this time. Yemon was selling his wife and his son's clothes to pay the bills. So the money is a a very attractive offer. So he hatches his plan. He's going to have his best friend break in and rape his wife so that he can accuse her of infidelity. That way he's free to marry Ome. And a few nights later, the best friend broke in. And upon seeing Oiwa's fucked up face, he just freaked out and he couldn't help it. And he blurted out Yemon's entire scheme. The infidelity, the money, the medicine that fucked up her face. Oiwa, who she, she didn't know that she was disfigured at this point, so she grabs a mirror. She didn't know? Yeah, she didn't know. That has me a little worried that I have a fucked up face and I just don't yeah. know it yet. Please don't look in the mirror. Please don't look in the mirror. <laughs> Very rude. Not everyone can. I swear I'd tell you if you did. <laughs> Thank you. You're a good friend. Uh, so she grabs a mirror and she looks at it for the first time and she starts to scream and she gets unhinged at this point so she grabs her husband's sword and just starts stabbing herself in the throat oh. until she just bleeds out and dies on the carpet jeez man shortly after Yemen's servant discovers her dead body and he panics and he runs over to Yemen and tells him and to his surprise Yemen just seems overjoyed and so he's like wait what but before he can even completely connect those dots, Yemen just grabs his sword and kills the servant too. Oh. So now he has two bodies on the floor. So what he does is he takes these bodies, 
he nails them to a door what? and then takes them, <laughs> and then he takes them to a river and then just tosses them in and does the door uh, float yeah doors float right you would think so so the, i mean you gotta I understand mean, this is titanic Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's two of them on there. Good point. Yeah. So there's two of them on there, then it sinks. That's <laughs> the little point. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now Yemen is free to marry Ome. And so life goes on. They have this luxurious wedding. And on their wedding night, they knock boots and they go to sleep. But then in the middle of the night, he awakens. And who's next to him? It's the ghost of Oiwa. And so he sees her. And he grabs his sword and just starts slashing away. And while he's slashing, the ghost's face just kind of fades, leaving behind just a limp, bloodied body of his new wife oh, that he's no. been slashing. No. Yeah, so he darts out of bed, and he gets up and he runs next door to the grandfather's house, and he, uh, he gets to the doorway, and while he's there, the servant's ghost appears. And so instinctively, he starts slashing his sword once again to chop up the ghost of the servant. But again, the ghost vanishes, leaving behind uh, a bloody, limp grandfather just Uh, falling onto the floor. When you hear this, is your first instinct to think that the ghosts are real and this is their revenge or that this is his guilty conscience getting getting them to him? Oh, I thought it was ghosts. What do you think, Brian? I'm thinking guilt. You think guilt? Guilt slash this guy's clearly unhinged. He's been biting and flying so long. Even his mother thinks that his mind is blah. He's unhinged, yeah. He could have just taken that divorce at the very beginning, not yeah. killed the father, and gotten everything he wanted. Yeah, there really was no reason to disfigure her even in the first place. He could no, have just left. His plans are... Is this something to do with like like honor? Like, Is it dishonorable to have a divorce at this point? Oh, maybe. I guess I, mean, I don't maybe. know enough about, uh, about Edo period marital law. Yeah. yeah. Well, at this point... Yemen is just losing his mind. He he runs in terror away to a cabin in the woods, but as he's running, he just sees tons of these floating lanterns along the way kind of following him. And in each one, it has her fucked up face like illuminated inside of the lantern. Cool. She's basically following him here, just howling. Cool. And she then follows him every day for the rest of his miserable life. And even into his dreams, he just sees her mangled face all the time. Wow. It basically just makes him completely lose his mind. You're saying that he that her her fucked up face is howling at him, right? Yeah, howling, howling, and chasing him. What does that sound like? Yeah, let's hear it. It's like the noises we made before we press play on the on the yeah. recording. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the noises we're making to warm up our pipes before yeah. we start recording. <laughs> Some people have like those little tongue twister things that they do. Yeah, we, we, just do go, we, we just mm-hmm. go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why Oiwa is depicted as a disfigured face in an illuminated lantern, because that's basically how he spent the rest of his life. So if you guys want to take a look at that, you can see uh, Hokusai's um, uh, oh, woodblock print. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, so I'm looking at this picture, and that's it's like so her harsh. face is part of the lantern. Like yeah. She's got like, yeah. kind of a papery, gross face. This is actually pretty easy going to some of the other like illustrations and stuff. She just looks like she's like super like her face is really all like messed up and like burnt kind of. And uh, it's pretty gross. And it's like on fire. The lantern's on fire. So so this way, is like this is the equivalent nice. of like a, a Bloody Mary for like Japanese yeah. culture. Like everybody knows this story. 
Right, right. This is a super famous story. It's probably the most famous uh, yokai story there is. And you'd be afraid after you blow out the candle when you're telling your 100 ghost stories, you'd look in the mirror and you'd see her fucked up lantern face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, Man, that's fun. You would be inviting her spirit in to, to the room with you. Ah. So the next Halloween-esque story, so what do we have? We had a giant spider, giant skeleton, and a, and a jack-o'-lantern. The next one I have is, is a swamp thing. Cool. And so uh, this one starts off in 1703. There's a man whose name is Kohada Koheji, and this man was pretty unremarkable. <laughs> he's pale, he's lanky, he has messy hair, sunken eyes. Just kind of a generally deflated balloon of a man. So much so that even his wife thinks that he's pretty unappealing. And this man desperately just wants to be an actor. But like his appearance, his acting skills are kind of lackluster. He doesn't have that star quality, that 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 certain menage a trois. There, yeah. There's no glitz. And there's no glam. <laughs> Thank you, Dracula. <laughs> uh, so much so that he couldn't find any role at all. Like even the small ones he would be rejected from. Now, the manager of his acting troupe felt bad for Koheji. And so he would uh, bribe and beg stage shows to cast the sad man just so he could have something, like anything in terms of acting. And eventually he lands this role outside of town where the audiences are a bit smaller and the producers are trying to save a little bit more money. And so he lands this role and it's that of a ghost because of his listless appearance. He's just the perfect ghost. He already looks like one. And they don't have to spend money on makeup because he just looks kind of sunken and gross. Koheji may have been physically a reject of society, but that had nothing to do with his work ethic. He practiced and he trained really hard to be basically the best actor, and in this case, the best ghost possible. So he started studying dead bodies, like their muscles, their rigid positions, their empty stares. So he too could be just like them. And God damn it, it worked. <laughs> his acting blew up and word of his role as a dead man spread all across the land and he became an acclaimed traveling actor. But Koheji's wife had fallen out of love with him a long time ago. And now that he was actually away on these, you know, acting gigs, another performer named Sakuro began sneaking into Koheji's house to be with his wife. Now, Sakuro, by contrast, was a handsome, famous drummer for Kabuki Theater. And Sakuro was a troopmate and friend of Koheji. But now Sakuro wanted Koheji's wife to himself, so he hatched a plan with his vagrant brother to kill off Koheji. So... He invites Koheji to go fishing on an overcast day when the play would be canceled due to weather. And sure enough, they hop in a boat and they head out into like the murky solitude of the swamp. Now, while fishing, Sakuro took the handle of the fishing rod like a hilt and he clocks Koheji over the head, disorienting him. And then Sakuro grabs his friend, plummets his head into the water where he starts to struggle and just drowns the, his, his friend and lets the body sink to the bottom of this swamp. Now, upon the success of his murder, he goes straight to his brother's house to tell him of the news. And when he gets there, his brother comes up to him and he says, Oh, when I got here, Koheji's waterlogged body was on the floor in the other room. Ew. That's gross. They walk over to inspect this body. And in this case, Sakuro wants to take the money from its pockets. And when he reaches down, the bloated corpse quickly with an iron grip latches onto Sakuro's body and just starts crawling up the man while simultaneously pulling his living body down to the floor. Oh, gross. So the corpse of Koheji is dragging itself up on top of Sakuro with his dead cold weight until his face is on top of the murderer's face, just staring in with like the, the intense dead eyes. And Koheji's corpse 
completely refused to move or let go, just stared at his old friend, basically. Now, Sakuro's brother was still there, so he had to take a knife or a sword and individually cut off every one of the fingers of the dead body just to loosen up that dead body so his brother could escape. And so as soon as he cuts off all those fingers, Sakuro is, is, is free, and he flees on foot as fast as he can back to the wife's house. Hey, do you think so? Uh, it, Hokeji, is that his name? Oh, yeah, Koheji, yeah. Koheji? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, he's really good at acting like a dead body. Do you think he didn't actually drown? He was just acting? Actually, the story goes, since he was so good at blending that line between death when he was alive, the way he, he acted, mm-hmm. when he died, he was so good oh, at pretending to be alive he as an option. Yeah. Oh. So pretty I like cool. That. Yeah. Sakuro goes and he flees to the wife's house. And upon arrival, before Sakuro can get any words out, like the mistress just tells him that a very alive Koheiji is waiting in the back room taking a rest. So Sakuro goes to the back room and he sees the silhouette of a sleeping Koheiji behind a folding screen. Oh no. Um, and so he takes hold of the screen and he goes to move it out of the way so he can see Koheiji. And as he pulls it, a hand just flashes up and grabs the screen from behind it. So all you can see is a hand locking it into place. And Sakuro is like pulling and twisting on the screen as hard as he can. And it's not moving at all until it finally in one just big crash gives way, crashing to the floor, knocking him over. And there's no one in the bed, but that hand that was gripping the screen, well, a bunch of fingers just fly and land next to him and on him from where he falls down. Like little worms? Basically. And as he looks at these fingers, they just turn blue and get all rotten. And uh, they just start stinking up everything around him. <laughs> now, the mistress, she, she now knew her husband was dead, obviously. But this also means she's free. And so she's like, okay, well, I'll just take care of this. She holds a funeral. And immediately after, a wedding. And then visions started happening for both of them. So Sakuro begins in the middle of the night and he feels a man between him and his new wife or he might just see someone crawling through the window to get into their home and then finally on one occasion he sees another man in bed with his wife and so without thinking he pulls his sword and he raises it over the man and his wife instinctively she reaches up to stop the sword but in doing so grabs it with her hands and it cuts off all of her fingers oh no so many, so, so many fingers in this story. Yeah, they it's were a really like, finger dense. Like finger, <laughs> finger death yeah. porn. Yeah, <laughs> but obviously there's no man there. He just was seeing things, or maybe saw the ghost or whatever. And like the first story, uh, <laughs> he resorted to the sword. Now, obviously she gets her fingers chopped off, and she just goes into a state of shock as as she just like stares at her bloody stump hands and her now bluing fingers on the floor all while they hear Koheiji's voice just laughing all around them. In the coming times, she's going to need medical treatment for this, but it basically just empties out all of their savings. But even that wasn't enough. She actually lost her mind, and eventually she succumbed, succumbed to like the rotting of her hands because they couldn't afford to, to take care of them. Yeah. And so she dies. So now, without a wife or without a dime to his name, Sakuro would continue on just basically begging blaming the world around him and eventually he blames the wrong person he blames a priest for stealing all of his money and so the priest he he sees this you know it's a dishonorable thing to accuse somebody of and so he takes his staff and he just beats the absolute shit out of sakuro this beggar who's blaming him and accusing him of, of you know taking his money and all this stuff and he gets so fucked up 
that he basically returns home. He's completely swollen. He just starts crying and laughing, and he goes to sleep like a like a swollen, like bloated man, never to awaken again, leaving his body on the floor, which looks like it had been drowned because of his swollenness. Circle yeah. of life, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, circle of life. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. That's uh, that's the story of of, of Koheji. Uh, Which one of those yokai would you want to have haunt you the least? Okay, so we have gross face killer. <laughs> I don't really like stinky fingers, so I'm going to say no to that. Yeah, no, no stinky fingers for no sure. No Koheji. If you look at the picture, maybe that'll also kind of help us though. There's a, the second picture again is another uh, Hokusai uh, woodblock pa- uh, print. Yeah, he looks like just a big kind of zombie skeleton man. Yeah, he kind of has a funny eyeball. like, hmm, hey. Hello. Mm, can I come in? Hmm. I like his little smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess I would pick him. You'd pick yeah. him? Mm. He's so yeah, gross, no. though. He, but he's, he's, maybe it's because, like, Uncanny Valley, he doesn't look like a person to me. Yeah. Whereas the lantern woman was like a fucked up face lantern woman that can fly around her. and follow you. I mean, that seems better because she's not actually hurting you, though. Yeah. I mean, the spider seems kind of fun, but the connotation that he's haunting you because you're uh, uh, like a, a child molester, that's that's not great. That's not so, great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I guess in that case, why not just go for the giant skeleton who's not really... the giant skeleton. Yeah, like, you, you could probably befriend him. Yeah, yeah. Ride him around like a, a wild boy. Yeah, he doesn't look like he's like mean-spirited, you know? He seems like he might be fun. Yeah. He just has that <laughs> that one yard stare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's real close. He's kind of like a, a horror Japanese uh, Iron Giant. Yeah, yeah, like a yeah. big bony uncle. You yeah. stay, I bone. That's what he says. Oh. Well, are we back to the spider one then, you perverts? <laughs> no, 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 not like that. <laughs> All right. So the next story I want to talk about. It's better if I preface it with some extra information because it's about aliens and it's about a weird lady, but I think it's worth hearing. And I'll be the first to admit, I like talking about aliens and UFOs a whole lot, but this is my only time once a year that I actually get to talk about it and people will listen. So the story I'm about to tell you, it's, it's recounted by a ufologist named Linda Moulton Howe. She's real famous. And in the UFO community, she's basically just like a, she's just a kook. Everyone thinks that she's just super easy to write off. She's just a weirdo at this point. She's 80 years old. Can I ask, Joey? Yes. A, a ufologist is just somebody who believes in UFOs? Someone who studies. Yeah, how do you become a ufologist? Yeah, you're, you're someone who studies it. But I think the qualifier is basically if people know who you are because you've contributed something significant. So you're like you're like the person who goes online and does their own research? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay, okay. I, I think I think mostly it's people. I mean, you don't see any young ufologists. Maybe there's one guy, Jeremy Corbell, but no one ca- listens to what he has to say. Okay. Um, but aside from, like, I feel like everybody else has been in the game forever. I might mention uh, Jacques Vallée at the end, and Jacques Vallée is like he's got to be in his mid to late 80s at this point, and he's like respected. But it's because he had like a background in uh, astronomy and computer science, and did like a lot of research, wrote a bunch of papers got them published. He's part of like the reason that the the government is actually disclosing stuff right now because he's working with people. So like he's in the know and people actually think he's credible and respectable. So yeah. Yeah. this woman, however, some people think that she did a lot way back when and now she just seems like an 80-year-old weirdo. All right, I'll attach a picture so you guys can see her with her cat. 
Oh. Uh, <laughs> she's um, okay. the type of person that I really want to trust with UFO knowledge. Yeah. She looks like uh, she looks like a gremlin from the movie Gremlins. Yeah, she no, totally that's, does. That's my thought, my first thought, and I'm like, but I don't want to say that because it's mean. It's and mean. also, yeah, but it's very mean. It's but y- you guys know how like gremlins are mischief makers. Yeah. And like every now and then they wanted like really razz you by getting into mischief and they're like, I'm going to dress like a sexy lady and really uh-huh. get you. That's what yeah. this looks yes, like. It looks a bit sexy. And I think if I saw her without knowing the background that she's a, a discredited ufologist, I would just think she looks like a nice, a nice lady. But yeah, knowing that she, she just looks nuts because of that context. Exactly. I by think. the way, I, I did pick the weirdest picture. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. uh, if you see her, like she had a video like celebrating her YouTube channel She's just a sweet old lady. Okay. And she's just like... Not a gremlin. She's very articulate. And like, the problem is that I think that she's just very gullible. Okay. But we have to we have to kind of back up and get to why she's famous, what happened, and, and basically hear her story. Because I like this story a lot. And it's coming from this woman who I think is a complete kook. So I guess we'll just back up a little bit. To give context as to like where she started and to give her a little bit of benefit of the doubt... I should point out that she does have a master's degree in communications from Stanford, and she got an Emmy for investigative reporting in the 1970s. Oh. She's got some cred. She actually has, she had some like pretty big clout back in the day, but most people actually know her from uh, a late night AM talk radio show called Coast to Coast with Art Bell. Okay, Um, I've heard of that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's widely regarded as like the best late night radio show. show. Are Are you guys familiar with that at all? Yeah, a little bit. I don't um, think I've ever so. actually heard it, but I just know that's like the iconic late night spooky stories radio show. I don't know if I actually do know. I, I just know Space Ghost, Ghost, Ghost. And that <laughs> might be great, was, by the way. Yeah. That show was fantastic. They would just interview good. people and then recut all of the interviews to make them sound like they were wild, which is great. Yeah. I did actually bring like a two minute clip from a really famous airing of Coast to Coast, if you guys want to hear that. Sure. Because I think it is just hyper interesting. It's its own story on its own, but I, I just figured. Let's just rope people in so they know what Coast to Coast is in case they don't know what it is. I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but whatever. So just for context, it's a talk show, right? It's very like low-paced, very much just voices, people talking about you know politics and this and that, uh, a lot of paranormal stuff. But then they would have like, they would call in, you know, that segment. And this one time in 1997, a frantic guy called in allegedly from Area 51, and it sounds legitimately eerie to me. I think it's actually scary. Um, so in Discord, I have a link for you guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Online, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Yes. Hi. Um, I, 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 I don't have a whole lot of uh, time. Um, well, look, let's begin yeah. by finding out whether you're using this line properly or not. Uh, Area 51. Yeah, um, that's right. Were you an employee or are you now? Uh, I, a former employee. Former um, employee. I, I, I was let go on a medical discharge about a week ago, and and <laughs> I, I've kind of been running a, across the country. Um, oh man, I don't know where to start. They're uh, they're, they're going to um, they'll triangulate on this position really, really soon. Well, um, you can't spend a lot of time on the phone, so give us something quick. Okay. Um. Um. Okay, what what we're thinking of as as aliens are they're uh, they're they're extra dimensional beings that an earlier precursor of the um, space program made contact with. Uh, 
They, they are not what they claim to be. Uh, they have infiltrated a lot of uh, uh, a lot of aspects of, of, of the military establishment, particularly the Area 51. Uh, the, the disasters that are coming, they, the, the military, I'm sorry, the, the government knows about them. And there's a lot of safe areas in this world that they could begin moving the population to now aren't but they're not doing they're not doing anything they are not they want the major population centers wiped out so that the, the few that are left will be more easily controllable discharge <laughs> So I'm just going to start pick up from right here. That's very now, eerie. Uh, yeah. it's, it sounds like the super weepy voice killer. Yeah. But the cool thing is after that, that, that uh, transmission lost, then the power went out for the first time. They had backup power and everything for the actual radio studio. The power went out at that point, And then when it came back on. In some way, something knocked us off the air and we're on a backup system now. It's uh, the government or... I don't know. It has to be something, though. Well, did you hear? Now, you tell me because you were listening. That was awful strange. It was. They were like, we don't know who that was. We don't know where that came from. Uh, all of this crazy stuff. And so, you know, imagine it's 1997. We don't have the same kind of Internet and stuff that we have now. There was no Blair Witch Project yet. There was nothing. So for someone to call in like that, if it's 2 a.m. Well, assume it was real. Yeah, you're just driving home and you hear yeah. that, this crying man. You're going to be like, what the fuck is that? So anyway, legitimately eerie because otherwise it's just a talk show. Also, just real fast, I want to use the theme song in this part. And it's the best song ever. So so we don't get in trouble, I have to say. Uh, we have to review it. <laughs> it's called Chase by Georgia Marauder. And it's very good. Can we all just agree it's very good? Oh, it's yeah, very like good. It. Yeah, it's very good. Okay, thank you. So Coast to Coast was known in the early days for kind of compartmentalizing two types of stories. Some of them are really wild pseudoscience or like conspiracy theories, and that was just for entertainment purposes. And some of them were more credible journalism about politics, religion, or paranormal events. And when I say paranormal events, I know that's kind of like, well, what does that even mean? But I think of like, a, oh, there's a Jesus face on a toast. Where it's like real news would cast that kind of stuff and you would talk about it and discuss it, but it wouldn't be like in a weird... Like, oh, Jesus is actually a toast, reincarnated. It's not like that. The thing is, these conversations, they actually seem real at this point. And at least the people who are talking are completely convinced about what they're talking about. And they're making sound arguments with data to back it up and all that stuff. Now, with that, Linda Moulton Howe was interesting because she was on both types of shows. She was on the entertainment side and on the research and discussion side. Um, so to give a, a couple examples, she would talk about like environmental impacts of technology. But then she also co covered the story about the cola borehole to hell, which Roger talked about last oh, year or the yeah. year before. That's cool. Um, so, yeah, so she was doing this back in the 1980s. Around this time, she's become regarded as the first person to claim that cattle mutilations are part of the whole UFO phenomenon, uh, which, of course, segues into her more current field dealing with UFOs and stuff. Uh, but she obviously doesn't have that clout anymore. And I, I do want to give a minute to talk about how she's uh, also not credible 
She once tried to pass a photo of aliens from a video game off as a real photo. Oh, really? Oh, no. Yeah, even this last year, another podcaster. Do you guys know what was it? Oh, no, Ross and Carrie. It's on the Max Fun Network. I've heard of no. that. Yeah, Carrie, she went to one of these conventions and slipped her a paper that says dogs are aliens. <laughs> and sure enough, the next day on stage, she, she put that as part of her speech. She was saying dogs are aliens. <laughs> Which is oh, obviously kind of sad. It's also yeah, because she's just you know basically preying on a, an eighty-year-old woman. So <laughs> yeah. So there's going to be a disconnect between you know if you believe her old stuff and if she's just a weirdo now. But the the question is, what happened? What made it so that she was way credible back in the 1970s and 80s, and now she's a, a weirdo? Uh, the leading theory is that there's a special agent from the Department of the Air Force Office of Special Investigations and that this man got to her. This man's name is Richard Doty. To understand how this could have an impact, you just need to know three things. Richard Doty specialized in psyops, which are psychological operations for the government, to convince people through heavy manipulation uh, to do or believe what he told them. Uh, Number two, Richard Doty has crazy government funding to fuel his extensive gaslighting operations. His goal is to discredit individuals that promote UFOs. So, for instance, there's a man named Paul Benowitz. There's a movie about this man. This guy who's studying cattle mutilation. And he would wait outside and stare at the skies and basically take, like, try to record in New Mexico to see if he could catch glimpses of UFOs so he could make reports to the government. And Richard Doty was encouraging this. But at the same time, Richard Doty was dispatching super expensive military helicopters around the area just so Paul, specifically just Paul Benowitz by himself, would fill out these reports to make him look crazy, saying, well, there must be UFOs here because all of these helicopters are flying around me. But the last big one is that Doty fully admitted to manipulating Linda Moulton Howe by basically sending teams to mutilate the cattle that she was reporting on. I have to ask, Joey, where are you getting this information from? This is like confirmed the government said they sent out teams of people to mutilate cows? Richard Doty said this. Well, see, that's the point. But how do we know that Richard Doty is not just uh, a crazy yeah, guy? He could be insane, too. That is so. That that is the fun part about this, is that we know that either he lied to her or he's lying to the public. In the end, it's like Occam's razor in that it's like either there's a government conspiracy to discredit ufologists or there's two crazy people uh, but, in mean, the world. He, and one of them is named Richard Doody, so... Uh. <laughs> I, I yeah. Mean, he, he, he is, I mean, he's a government employee. Uh, he's a special... He is? That's, that's like, confirmed that he works for the government? Yes, okay. yes, for sure. So Got it. he's credibly part of the government, and, uh, you know, so e- either he's lying to us or he's lying to them. Gotcha. Now, with that being said, I think that gives you guys a little bit of context where she came from and why she might be nuts at this point. But I want to recount for you guys a tale of an interview that she had with an unnamed military man about meeting an alien because I think it's super creepy. So imagine this. You're a Marine. You're six foot four. You're a big buff guy. Dude, I love it. <laughs> you're superior. Wait, slow down, what slow am I? Down. Hey, Joey, what am I wearing? Okay. What, yeah. What are you wearing? I like to imagine I'm not wearing a shirt. No mm-hmm. shirt. And I've been working out, so I'm a little sweaty. Yeah. Are you wearing like I've, those like military kind of olive drab pants? Yeah, Boots. but I was thinking like camo, camo, but they're like pulled low, so you can see like that V on my stomach. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You're also wearing, I think it's called a Jabbit. Jabbit the Hut. <laughs> Jabbit the Hut. <laughs> 
A jabot is the big frilly thing that comes that you wrap around your neck and it looks oh, like, like old timey like Victorian yeah. people. Yeah, and then <laughs> really they also the have doily? Like, weird like they're almost like there's wristbands that are also very jabbity. So you can have you have that. You have both of those on. It's kind of like a, a Chippendales okay. vibe. Yeah, Chippendales, but yeah, much more okay. frilly. Sorry, back to your story. All right, so you're this big buff guy, dark hallway. You're in a secluded area. I don't know where you're at. We don't have that context. Your superior officer comes to you and he says, one of the Ebens, which is the short gray alien has agreed to let you have the experience of having a telepathic connection, a, a download of sorts, just so we'll know what it's like. I mean, we'll get start there. Would you say yes? Ah, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Who, who is this soldier? He's just like a, a private. Uh, we, yeah, we, we don't know anything else about him. Uh, what I gather is that he's a Marine. Um, when I've seen recounts of this tale, uh, basically, I see it looks like a dude from the Navy. So I, I, I just, I guess my initial instinct would be like, why don't you just get like a scientist <laughs> to do this? Like, why, why not have somebody talk to yeah. this? Like, why me, I guess, would be my initial instinct. Because you're a big buff guy. What's a tiny little alien going to do to you? I mean, shoot me with a laser. Well, no, I just want to know why the tiny little alien is interested in me. Unless it's because I'm sweaty and not wearing a shirt. <laughs> yeah. Then I get it. Yeah, I get but it. But other than that, I think, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, it makes sense for, for, for science sake. We, we, we might need someone who's, who's, you know, what's that word? Like, res, like resilient, has a lot of resolve. And who better than like a, like a Navy SEAL, right? I guess so. Okay. Yeah. So your superior officer tells you there's an agreement between the military and the being that basically you don't have anything to worry about. Now, we don't know much else about that. That's just your, basically your superior officer is telling you, like, don't worry about this. You'll be fine. The being knows that humans get upset when they see creatures floating around uh, because we don't, obviously, but that's their preferred state because they have the technology that neutralizes gravity. Imagine this. The officer looks at you and tells you that he's agreed to stay on the ground, and when he walks on the ground, he's going to kind of waddle, and it's going to look pretty funny like a, like a puppet, like Donald Duck. But so don't be laugh. prepared for that. Don't laugh. Don't. Yeah, <laughs> just be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Don't want to embarrass the little guy. Yeah, right. Uh, then he'll just he'll just storm off in a big flick, flap off. Yeah. So he's going to get to this place. We're going to start coming towards you in a straight line. And about six to seven feet away, he'll stop. And at this point, you're going to feel like you want to run, like, uh, like you're doing a flamethrower drill. Your entire body is just going to feel fear. But he says, this is in order. I want you to stand your ground. I don't care how much you want to run. I want you to experience this telepathy. Now, at this point, you're this big six foot four guy, and it all seems ridiculous. Why would you be afraid of this? You're not a child. You can handle it. But then the being starts to approach you, and he's waddling like a cartoon. And yeah, it's funny, and you you know hear in your head your boss saying this is going to be kind of funny, so keep your cool. And then the thing starts waddling up, and it gets to about six feet away, and all of that feeling of, of laughter completely changes. Your legs start to shake uncontrollably. You feel the fight or flight kick in and all of your instincts are screaming for you to run and you feel like you're going to pass out. Now, the only thing keeping you there is that you know your superior officer is 30 feet away from you watching this off to the left and you know that you can't afford to fall apart in front of the officer. So you just stand there and you're frozen in fear and pure terror and then the being's head starts to tilt up to look at you. And the moment that his eyes meet your eyes, you just lose control completely. 
the telepathic download begins. The way he describes it, it's like seeing seven Hollywood movies playing simultaneously, but also you can hear the sounds, feel the temperatures, the touch, the smell, etc. for all seven films at the same time. And in front of them, it's almost as if there's like these 3D gold hieroglyphs kind of cycling through in rapid succession. And these are the actual Marine's words himself. I realize my mind is trying to ask questions, and with every question my mind is trying to ask, it's making another one of these branching movies. And his boss told him, when you faint, we're going to catch you. So he dismisses all of this as ridiculous until this actual moment with all these movies running through his head. And basically he just passes out. And then stays unconscious for three hours. He wakes up three hours later in a cot, unable to sit up. And he says, that's what he wanted me to understand. We would all like Spielberg's movie of the little E.T. that got drunk in the kitchen on beer. We'd all like to have an extraterrestrial take us to Starbucks and sit us down for coffee and tell us about the universe. But it's never going to happen because there's a difference between how our minds work and how theirs work. And theirs are overwhelming. Oh, so we just can't, we can't have a relationship with them. So it's not like that alien was purposefully trying to blow the Mm -hmm. Marine's mind. He just, that's just how they connect. I think the idea is we can communicate with them to some degree. They had to make an agreement, right? Like, don't fuck up this guy. But we can't do their telepathy thing because our brains are peanut brains and theirs are like, you won't be able to Mm -hmm. handle this. So is that just the only way they communicate? I think to to their degree, right? They have like, well, they're way beyond us. So I think the idea is if they wanted to, they could probably pump the brakes a little bit and let it do a little bit of telepathy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think for us to try to keep up with them, we just wouldn't be able to understand. Our brains just don't have the the RAM. (laughs) Yeah. Uh (laughs) So, yeah. So maybe Linda Moulton has a, a nut job. But, you know, maybe this story that she's recounting. Maybe it happened before Dodie got to her, and maybe this is like uh, a, a relic of when she was credible, and that's why he was hired to shut her down. So, anyway, yeah, that's that. That's that's the story of Linda Moulton Howe. All right, would you rather meet a yokai or meet that alien uh, and have him I do his mind tricks? Meet anything but an alien. Really? <laughs> anything? Pick something. I'll meet it right now. Um, just like a, a cat. An orange cat. Oh, a tabby. Wait, is it a Monday? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe not. Those cats, not great on Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> I hate Mondays. Uh, so that, that's about it. I think we should wrap up the episode just so everybody knows. Dracula is still here, and he actually he wanted to have his own little segment after after the show. So stick around. Okay. Um, and we'll have some more, some more Dracula content for you guys afterward. <laughs> and uh, if you like what we're doing, shoot us an email, storyholepodcast.gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us at Storyhold Podcast on Instagram. Leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. Happy, Happy Halloween, Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> I'm going to be here still. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. I think the aliens are so not spooky and yet, and yet very funny because they are like little children with a big beach ball ahead that you can squish. And then when they come to abduct me, 
they do not know that they must invite me in as a vampire. And so they would scoot me up the ramp into their funny little spacecraft. Hey, Brian, could you help me just, we're going to pull these chairs up real quick for the interview like, thing. Yeah. Looking at a mime being shoved into an invisible wall, and my face would get swooshed against the wall. Here, and I would laugh at them and go, ah, uh, ah, Like ah, that, like the way you said it. They would not be able to get me into the craft. And it would be very funny, but drag cool. Well, what if they just try to invite you in with their minds? Like these telepathy to mind invite you in. Well, that would be impossible because my mind is always on my money, and my money is always on my mind. Interview with a good vampire. And why for do you have a desk chairs into the woods? It is raining outside. Hey, uh, why don't you take a seat? Okay, uh, so Dracula. Yes. So to get this straight, you found one of our business cards and it led you here, and now you want to be a co host on our show. This is correct. <laughs> I mean, it sounds fine to me, but I guess we'll have to interview you. It's more of a, a formality. Oh, yes, of course I get. Before we get started, would anyone like 123 Skittles? Some Skittles? I counted them during the show. Uh, no, thanks. 52. A violet. Ugh. No one likes that kind. Um, okay. So let's get started. Uh, what can you bring to the show? I am team player. I am very good at vamping. Voice for radio. And my name is, of course, Dracula. Like the Dracula? Yes and yes. Aren't you like 3,000 years old? Yeah, there's no way. If you're the real Dracula, then who was ruling? Yeah, who's the ruler? At, at when like you're alive, you when you calling me out? And what did you have for dinner two Wednesdays ago? How can you expect me to remember three thousand years? Rulers, it's ridiculous. I am vampire. I eat blood from time to time. I seduce the people, turn into a bat. I'm allergic to garlic, shellfish, bumblebees, things. All very standard Dracula stuff. You know who I am. Okay. Where are you from then? I am from Transylvania. Where is that? It was by Hungary, but on a modern map you would know it more like a Pennsylvania. Yes, I know, they sound similar, but times change, Bob Dylan such and such. We renamed things as a secret code for safe places for vampires. Anything with a Sylvania is safe. Slovenia? Yeah, Slovenia is pretty much a Sylvania, but much slower. It is a retirement place for vampires to go. Super die, which means die a second time. We make our preparations there before we stake ourselves to death. In fact, before I found your story hall card, I too planned on making the final trip to Stake City myself. Why? Why would you do that? You have everything. Life gets boring around 3,000 years. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I decided before I stake the easy way out, <laughs> I should at least try something different. Back in my prime, I was an inventor, and when I grew tired of the world, I thought to build a time machine. To see the past and the future. You know, before I go. I figured since I am so bored, maybe I can start over in a new time. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but why are you back here then? I typed too many zeros and went back 65 million years. I went back and rode a dinosaur. I even saw a primitive caveman preparing a little caveman meal. 
I was so hungry, so I approached him and I asked if he could speak my language. But he just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. There's no way they had Vegemite back then. I'm not even sure that they had sandwiches back in caveman times. So what, what was the Vegemite sandwich? Vegetables and mites, like bugs, but prehistoric times. The caveman seemed to be more of a gatherer than a hunter, but don't tell him I said that. Oh, Dracula, so bad. Uh, well, that clearly didn't work out. Did you ever go to the future? Yes, of course. In the future, everything is bleeps and broops and computers and, and confusing. All the people wear trench coats and wrap around the sunglasses and they smoke a digital marijuana and communicate with computer coding. It is overwhelming to an old soul like myself. A hovering black droid flew over and he asked me in a strange robotic voice if I could speak in their future language. So I smiled and I gave him a Vegemite sandwich. Anyway, it was far too peculiar, so I zipped back to present day and moved away from Pennsylvania. Right below Pennsylvania is another place we call Mexico. <laughs> I went there to lay low and avoid the pleasures of the human blood. I gorged on livestock, but I got into a little bit of vampire trouble. Many people don't know. The sheeps and the livestock and the goats, they often have the B a negative blood type, which is toxic for vampire. It would goop my brains, and well, I would behave negative. I would shear sheep, like a lot of sheep, and run around like a funny little ghoul that had one too many tequila sunsets, until the villagers suspect the monster was on the loose. But it really was just me sucking all the goat blood. This stupid bastard started with a creature called a goat sucker. A goat sucker. This is the least creative name. I just wrote it on a wall and paint one day and they pissed their pants all over the goat sucker. Anywho, after my shenanigans, I would often wake up hanged over and full of shame for what Druncula did the night previous and I wanted to give up the toxic lifestyle. But I had nothing to turn to. Nothing to be positive about. Is there like an Alcoholics Anonymous for I that? I mean, I'm sure there's got to be some sort of program you could could have done or something. Well, a lot of people turn to religion. Are you religious? Uh, yes, I was born Presbyterian, but I am Lutheran. No, you trite son of a bitch. I am allergic to crosses. Ironically, I do admire that man, Luther. He did not like something and he drove a stake right into the heart of the church with a list of complaints. And to that stake, I say, well done. You like that he states something? Eh, game recognize game, respect. Anywho, let's continue on my Dracula journey, shall we? So, I left Mexico and I moved out to the west coast, to a place in the Big Sur called the Pfeiffer Beach, so I could start a new healthy life off the Dracula and then learn the code of the ocean. There I would jump and jive and wail, duck dive and talk to whales. I even met some of the local cool teens that would cook sweet chocolate treats by campfire. They were disgusting. No blood at all. One bite drove me crazy. I ran through the sand directly to the ocean water and I went for a swim under the sea. And I wished I could be part of their world, but I realized the spells are no place for a bat. So I decided it was time to go away permanently. 
I was sulking on a park bench late one night when my eye beheld a little scrap of black floating paper floating down and landing next to me. Oh, like Forrest Gump. I do not know of this Forrest. Is it by a big sir? You don't know Forrest Gump? You know the movie? Look, I barely remember 1992 to 1993 to 1994. <laughs> and I only own four VHS tapes. Half of them are Titanic. Well, that leaves two more. What are the other movies you own? One is The Pretty Woman. And what's the other one? The other is Billy's Little League and Sixth Birthday Party, but it is recorded over with an episode of uh, Everyone Loves Raymond. It is so funny. He says, Debra, blah, blah, blah. And then Grandfather says, Don't say that to your wife. But you do. She's not my wife. Oh, it's a classic. It's so funny. Anywho, the black paper at Lance, and it has a telephone number. And I cannot find the telephone booth, but I see the beach kids all the time with the little black television telephones. And I remember, I took one from the graham cracker girl at the bonfire after I killed her. I took it because I do not like to be wasteful. I get back to my castle in Pennsylvania and try to call, but my cold dead fingers cannot activate the buttons. So I warmed them like a marshmallow teenaged s'more. I put my hand in a furnace, I took it out, I blew it at the fire, I take out the paper, I use it to call you on your cell phone. Was that a Drake reference? And then I leave a voicemail saying that I too want to be one of the story holes. On my little black television telephone, I could listen to all of your shows, and they are very funny. And I think to myself, Dracula, you too can be a story boy. Do you listen to Drake? Not really. When I stole the phone a few years ago, the first button I press, it opens up a thing, and it plays this dead girl songs. I only knew how to play the one for a little while, but since then I have made two playlists. What's on them? Mostly movie soundtracks. <laughs> it has got the soundtrack to Don Juan de Marco, and that was a delightful accident. And the other? Of course, the music from my fourth favorite VHS tape, The Pretty Woman. It has a You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon, which is a song about the bat-faced girls that makes me really vampire horny. <laughs> and it has a song by 1984 Whitney Houston that makes me a regular horny. <laughs> Can I get a fizzed bump? <laughs> Ouch! Warn me next time you have a silver ring on. But were you raised in a barn? Oh, sorry. sorry. Anywho... It seems like we know how this interview went. Uh, I've been waiting 3,000 years. I can sit here quietly for a few hours while you interview your other candidates. Oh, we don't really do it like that. Yeah, we don't really have anybody else. It's just kind of you. Oh, I can go over there. And maybe I can compulsively sort your skittles some more. Oh, sorry, look, we have a lot of other guest interviews uh, to get through. We'll, we'll get back to you. Really, I don't mind. Oh, I see. You don't want. This is fine, Dracula. It is okay. It is okay. I will see myself out. Where you heading? Slovenia. Oh. Dude, he's gonna... I'll see you. Thank you for the opportunity. I wish you and yours the best of fortunes. I am so sorry that I could not vampress you. 
I like them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, Dracula. Yes. You're on the team, bud. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goody for my gumdrops. You are going to be my best friends. Hey, Dracula, you want some Skittles? Huh. Yes. One yellow, two yellow, one red, like the color of blood. Three yellow. Oh, this pile is my favorite. Oh, stop, Dracula, being so bandwagon. I'm not. I've always liked the four yellow. Holy smokes, things are getting very heated in here. And so concludes the story of how Dracula joined Storyhole as our permanent extra host. Thank you for listening to Interview with a Good Vampire. Happy Halloween!